Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Well, good evening. Welcome to the Fearless Activism Webinar. My name is Michael Benner. I'm your host tonight, which is actually the last of a dozen special webinars that we've done since the election of Donald Trump. Now, the podcast will continue. I want to make sure that you understand that you'll be able to continue to hear these programs on a regular basis, perhaps even weekly. But the live webinar that you're listening to right now, we're going to conclude tonight, and then I'll continue with the pre-recorded podcast after that. Hope that's not too confusing. I think pretty much everybody knows how to do a podcast at this point. We are listed in the iTunes store as the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. You can go to the iTunes store and search for Ageless Wisdom, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, or just my name, Michael Benner, and subscribe or stream or download a single episode there. All right. We have lots to cover tonight, lots to talk about. It's been a busy week. I began the program last week by saying, let's talk about the Russians. And we talked quite a bit about what was breaking news a week ago about uh, the resignation of Trump's national security advisor, uh, Michael Flynn, who lasted all of 24 days. Well, we're now up to day 31 in the the Trump administration. Remember, it was January 20th he was inaugurated. Tonight's the 19th. Tomorrow is President's Day, or as some of us would say, not my President's Day. And uh, I'm going to be speaking in Santa Monica. If you're anywhere in Southern California, weather should be great. If you can join us at 6 p.m. Monday evening, February 20th, at the Activist Support Circle in Santa Monica for a free public gathering. I'd love to see you. I'll talk about why it's important to organize for your own personal growth, for your spiritual growth, primarily because what we call fearless activism is a a moral and ethical and a spiritual imperative. You have to do something. Listening to programs like this, That counts. That's something. Reading the news and talking to your friends, that all counts. But you have more to do. There's many, many ways. We'll touch on some of them tonight that are not only good for your community and your state and your nation, but are excellent forms of personal growth and good mental health that uh, social and political activism builds emotional intelligence and maturity. It helps you to manage stress by expressing what would otherwise be repressed and lead to a very anxious and unhealthy condition. So the great thing about being active is you're not only helping to improve the world, but as Gandhi said, you're being the change that you wish to see. You benefit, and that's the way it ought to be, right? All of our actions should be for the greater good of all concerned, including yourself. (laughs) You're part of that greater good, so it's really not an either-or, right? 
either I benefit myself or I help the world, that you're part of the world. If we do it well and properly, then everybody should win all the way around. Win, win, win. Win, 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 right? So we're meeting at the Unurban Cafe. A phone number for more information is 818. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, thinking about my own number. You could call that, I suppose, 818-569-3017. Leave a message and someone will call you back. But you can call the Activist Support Circle directly at 310-399-1000. The Activist Support Circle for Progressive Activists, 310 is the area code, 399-1000. Or look at their Facebook page. Just go to Activist Support Circle. Facebook.com slash Activist Support Circle. We're meeting at the Unurban Cafe, 3301 Pico. That's near Sentinella. Beginning at 6 in the evening. We'd love to have you. Again, it's free of charge. Food is available. It's the, uh, it is a coffee shop and they have great little noshes, sandwiches, and such. And so if you can buy some food while you're there, that's good for them. They're hosting the event. But uh, otherwise, the meeting is free. It's been going on for 12 years. In fact, this is the 12th anniversary of the Activist Support Circle. I was their very first speaker back in the day. So that would have been, what, 2005? Hard to believe and still going strong. Supporting activists, regardless of your particular issue, helping you to organize, to be more effective, to network, and to avoid burnout. That's a very important part of all of this. And we can touch on that tonight also. So those are the two points I have at the top. This is the last live webinar, though the Fearless Activism podcast will continue under the name Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. And uh, tomorrow night, the 20th of February, 2017, will be at the Unurban Cafe in Santa Monica, 6 p.m. Hope to see you there. Come on up, introduce yourself. Let me put a face to your name. Love to meet you. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk about tonight is a Soviet philosopher, a Russian thinker, a fellow who's been an academician at Moscow University. He was a journalist before that, and for a time, he was a street sweeper. But do not underestimate the influence of Alexander Dugin. He is sometimes called Putin's brain. And I'm going to spell it for you because I want you to know about Dugin what he represents, who he is. I want you to Google this fella because the American news media has not picked up on this. It connects Putin to Trump and gives you the larger overview of Duganism, what it's about, why Putin reached out and began to develop Trump as a Russian mole, how that all came down, and why Trump's behavior is right out of the Putin KGB playbook. 
most recently the attack on the news media. This undermining of the news media will be followed by the jailing of journalists and I certainly hope I'm wrong. It's not a prediction, but Putin has killed over 30 journalists. He not only assassinates his opponents, he kills journalists, uh, women as well as men, people with families, citizens, leaving children orphaned because they write, because they have opinions. And because Russia does not believe in free speech and Donald Trump does not believe in free speech. So the attacks on the news media, you're already seeing these allegations of fake news and all of this nonsense, this made-up stuff. He did it again yesterday in Florida, started talking about the terrorist attack in Sweden this week. Well... There was no terrorist attack in Sweden this week or any other week. He just made that up, like the Bowling Green massacre that Kellyanne Conway just invented out of thin air. They're pulling this out of their rear end and just throwing it against the wall. Obviously, his base is not the most well-informed group of people in the United States, and they're being trained not to trust the primary check against Trump's lies, the news media. Now, let me also add, before I get into Dugan, media is plural. The news media or mass media or mainstream media is not one thing. It is countless outlets. And if you or I speak as if media is one thing, Wherever we are on the political spectrum, we are supporting the work of these individuals who are targeting the media and undermining the fourth estate and the really important role that it plays as a check against the abuse of power by the government. And other institutions in society could be corporations or unions or churches or universities or any institution that becomes corrupted. Big pharma, your only check is the news media, but they're not one thing. Medium is singular, like standing between the source of the news and the consumer of the news. In the middle is the medium. And the plural of that is media. So don't fall into the trap, please, please, of talking about media, the media, like it's one thing. And hand in glove with that idea is the First Amendment's guarantee of freedom of the press, not an objective press. Now, I taught journalism at the college level, and I can tell you In the textbooks that I studied from in college and that I taught from when I taught college, the word objectivity is not in any of those textbooks. Journalists are not supposed to be objective. They're supposed to tell the truth. And in a free and democratic society, the whole point of the First Amendment is to have news available to us, and commentary and editorial, for that matter, from diverse and antagonistic sources. Now, 
That's a phrase you might want to commit to memory. Perhaps you've heard me talk about it before. It comes from a U.S. Supreme Court decision in 1945, the government against the Associated Press. And in the majority opinion, the court talked about how democracy relies for its information, if it's going to be a well-informed electorate, voting for its representatives in government. The people have to be informed not by objective news media, not by the one right news media or medium, but by a diverse and antagonistic media. The news media is not supposed to agree. It's not supposed to be objective. It's supposed to be fair. It's supposed to be accurate. Uh, Ideally, it should be honest. (laughs) Right? And conform to some conventions of reality, but the idea of objectivity is ridiculous. Truth is a relative concept. What's true for you in many cases might not work for me. And that's just the way it is. Philosophically, we say the world will be an objective reality when you can tell me definitively exactly where slow becomes fast and exactly where hot becomes cold and exactly where big becomes small. How big is it? How fast did they go? Well, how hot is it? You say it's a matter of degree. You see? So... If my friend from Hawaii is visiting L.A. and my friend from Alaska is visiting L.A. and it's 55 degrees outside, my friend from Hawaii is complaining about how cold it is. My friend from Alaska takes off his shirt and says it's a balmy day. Don't you see? So there is no objectivity. we got to get rid of this nonsense and, and understand that Number one, media is not a single thing. It's plural for medium. It's not the source of news. It stands between the source and the consumer. It's in the middle. It's the medium. Plural is media. And secondly, it's not supposed to be objective. It's supposed to be accurate, truthful, honest, but not objective. It should be diverse and even antagonistic. And then as consumers, we have to seek out a variety of sources of news and information, commentary and editorial, in order to be well-informed, in order to think for ourselves. I feel strongly about that as a journalist and an instructor of journalism, and I don't see that point being made. Now, having said that, let's go back to Alexander Dugan, because I want you to Google this. I want you to know about it. If you're listening to this program, either as a live webinar or as a podcast, and we have listeners all around the world, you need to know about this guy. And most people don't, and most people never will. All you got to do is a little bit of Googling. His books are not easily obtainable. I don't know that they're in English. I think they're only Russian editions. So you're not going to be able to read the book. But you can Google it. You can read a Wikipedia entry. There's a profile of Dugan on Amazon. 
you can do a little bit of research and you're likely to hear more about him in the future. Alexander Dugan, D like David, U-G-I-N, sometimes spelled D-U-G-A-N. He's the author of Foundations of Geopolitics and he's a fascist and he's promoting a Eurasian empire of corporatocracy that is essentially white people against the rest of the world, a ruling class, the power elite, aligned with bankers and corporations to, first of all, destroy what is known as Atlanticism. Now, Atlanticism is basically a European-American alliance. You might think of NATO, the Northern Atlantic Treaty Organization. So on both sides of the Atlantic, the United States and Europe aligned against what used to be the Soviet Empire and communism. But this new Eurasian Empire is Dugan and Putin and the KGB and the Russian military's attempt to unite Russia, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, and a Trump version of fascist United States of America. It's anti-American, anti-bourgeois. In other words, it's about destroying the middle class, so you only have the working class and the power elite. I'll read you briefly a little excerpt from Wikipedia that you can read for yourself about this book, Foundations of Geopolitics. The book declares that the battle, this is a quotation, the battle for the world rule of ethnic Russians has not ended, and Russia remains, quoting again, the staging area of a new anti-bourgeois, anti-American revolution. The staging area of a new anti-American revolution. The Eurasian Empire will be constructed, quoting from Dugan's book, on the fundamental principle of the common enemy, the rejection of Atlanticism, again, that's America, the NATO alliance with Western Europe, strategic control of the USA, and the refusal to allow liberal values to dominate us. No more liberal democracy. Liberal democracy, the Bill of Rights, the American Constitution, that's the enemy. That's why Trump's begun to attack the First, Fourth, and Fifth Amendments. That's why he has contempt for the law, right? He doesn't have to show his taxes. He doesn't have to divest his holdings in countries all around the world. He doesn't have to obey the nepotism laws. He can bring his daughter and son-in-law right into the White House, even though it's absolutely illegal, because he has contempt for law and order, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, is in violation of the emollients law. And then continuing from the Google quote about Dugan, military operations play a relatively small role in this Revolution. This is interesting. This is not going to be a military war. 
Dugan's textbook believes in a sophisticated program of subversion, destabilization, and disinformation. You know that as fake news and alternative facts. Spearheaded by the Russian Special Services. The operation should be assisted by a tough, hard-headed utilization of Russian gas, oil, and natural resources to bully and pressure other countries. So the reason Putin and the KGB have the goods on Trump and we're blackmailing Trump, and they've got somebody installed that's telling them what to do right out of the Putin playbook, is to create a corporatocracy out of what we know is corporatism. Now, allegedly, free enterprise and corporatism are the same thing. And corporatism, like it or not, at least has as its intention the greater good of all concerned. There's mutual benefit, intended anyway, in corporatism. A corporatocracy, however, is the new fascism. And you'll notice the bank bailouts, the bailouts of big corporations, the extraordinarily excessive pay of CEOs, and the exploitation of natural resources. Uh, It's likely before Trump's done, they'll be drilling for oil and mining in Yellowstone in Yosemite. They'll be building condos in the Grand Canyon. And you may find that hard to believe, but mark my words, that's the plan. There's money to be made. That's what corporatocracy is about. Now, that's the new fascism. That's where Putin and Trump become the new iteration of Hitler, Mussolini, and Hirohito. And you could throw Stalin in there, too, for that matter. So, Alexander Dugan, if you know about Dugan, you're way ahead of most of your activist friends. And you're in a position to begin to promote a conversation about Eurasian fascism, the Eurasian Empire. That's another thing you're going to begin to hear more and more about, the new Eurasian Empire. This is white people, Russians, Europeans, what used to be the landed aristocracy hundreds of years ago, now the power elite, the bankers, the financiers, the heads of these huge, enormous Global corporations, they're not American companies. They're global companies. Find me a car that is made in the United States only. You can't. You need two sets of tools. You need (laughs) to work on a car for the last 30 years. You need American tools and you need metric tools. Because the parts are coming from all over the world. There are no more, well, I don't want to overstate it. There are American corporations, but they're on the small side. The large multinational corporations have transcended. You can see it in the word multinational. They've transcended boundaries. Their allegiance is to money and to the World Bank. And the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, not to 
the United States, not to the Constitution, certainly not to the Bill of Rights, which is the part of the Constitution we care the most about, the First, Fourth, and Fifth Amendments, without which you don't have a democracy. You say, well, Michael, you're mixing politics and economics. Well, it's been a long time since you could separate politics and economics. You can't do that anymore because they've really blended together and integrated to the point that they're the same thing. Now, much can be said about this and the role of the media, and it's easy to say, well, but the media is part of this. We can't depend upon the medium, the mediums, <laughs> the media, to tell us any of this when they're owned by these same big corporations. You know, you got a good point, and that's why I spent that 10 minutes talking about the importance of a diverse and antagonistic media. So it's important to read the New York Times and the Washington Post and NBC and CBS and ABC and CNN and Fox, too. You got to listen to all of that. But that's not enough. You've also got to read The New Republic and The Nation and Mother Jones and The Progressive and, and every magazine, Time and Newsweek that you can get your hands on. You don't have to read it deeply if you don't have a lot of time. Just skim through it. But your most important goal and responsibility is to expose yourself to diversity. Read as many different approaches to the news as possible so the contrasts and the conflicts will stimulate your own insight and understanding. Then you take that to your friends. And don't seek agreement. Learn to argue the art of polemics is not about everybody agreeing. You learn much more from people you disagree with than people you agree with. So if you're going to unfriend everybody that you disagree with and argue with people as if they're wrong and you're right and they're absolutely wrong and you're absolutely right, you're not doing anybody any favors. Use a simple technique. I call it the five magic words. I understand how you feel. That does not mean you agree, and it certainly does not mean that you concede the point. But it's what most people want and need when they disagree with you. They don't want to win the argument. They may think they do. <laughs> they may think they do. But what they really want is simply for you to acknowledge that you understand them. You don't have to agree. Just say, I understand how you feel. I can see how you'd feel that way. No, I don't agree with you. No, I haven't changed my mind. But you've given me more to think about. In fact, I'm more certain now that there's merit in what I was saying a few minutes ago, having Listen to you disagree with it. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I understand how you feel. I can understand that you might feel that way. 
Now, that's provided they're somewhat well-informed. There's really little value in arguing about anything with an illiterate person, somebody who really does not have a lot of information and doesn't really care to know the truth. And this is a big part of Trump's base. I won't say all, but a significant percentage of Trump's base. You know, they couldn't find Russia on the map. They don't know if the earth revolves around the sun or the sun revolves around the earth. So (laughs) you watch some of these late night TV programs where they send a man on the street. That old Steve Allen used to do that bit. And then Jay Leno did a, uh, a thing like that. Jimmy Kimmel does it now. Uh, and, and many others have just sent people out on this. David Letterman used to do it. And yeah, I know they edit out the smart ones and show you only the really stupid ones, but it's terrifying to see how ignorant and uninformed Many Americans really are. It's really scary. And things are going to get worse because part of the Trump plan is to undermine education. So, enough of that. I want to remind you that because we're live, and this is number 12, the last in our series of live webinars, the podcast will continue. If you have a comment that you would like to make online, Simply type it into the box on the page in front of you if you're listening via the web. And if you're listening on the telephone, and I can see many of you are, and you have a comment or a question, just press star 2 on your telephone touchpad, and uh, I will do my best to get to to that, too. I have a... uh, question here from an online listener in Whittier, California, Synthony. Uh, I'm sorry, Synthony. I made up a name. Cynthia is what I mean to say. Cindy. Cynthia in Whittier says, Hi, Michael. What if someone becomes verbally abusive because you disagree with them? I have unfriended a few for that reason. Well, I think that's a good point. Abusive being the key word. If a person is verbally abusive, if they're hostile, if they're moving toward a violent reaction or just reflexive hostility, you have triggered a part of their brain called the amygdala, and they are in fight or flight. It means they are afraid of you. Now, it's always a challenge and requires a certain degree of emotional intelligence to breathe and relax in the moment and remind yourself that the people who frighten us are frightened themselves. They're afraid. And the amygdala is a little cluster of neurons in the limbic brain, which is the ancient lizard brain in the back of the head, near the brain stem, just above the neck. And reptiles have it. Dinosaurs had a limbic brain, for that matter. It's very reflexive, and it shuts down the neocortex, which is in the forehead. That's the higher brain function of reasoning 
abstract thinking, creativity, and critical thinking skills. I get shut down. It's hijacked, in a sense, by the amygdala when it gets afraid or stressed out. It's not that the amygdala knows that you're in danger. It goes into fight or flight anytime it's confused or ignorant or unaware. I know ignorance is an insulting word, but we don't have a lot of words for not knowing. When you don't know something, you feel frightened, and it's not that you're in danger. I mean, if there is obvious danger, what you're frightened of is what you don't know about the obvious danger. But more often than not, there's no danger at all. You could be sitting around the living room, you know. And uh, having a conversation, and suddenly somebody starts yelling and getting angry, and as Cynthia says, abusive. So understand what they don't know, which is that they're frightened. They feel on a very primitive level, the reptilian brain is telling them that they're in danger, their existence is being threatened even though that's not the case. And their anger and their hostility is a defense mechanism to try to scare you away. That's how anger evolved. Anger evolved as a human emotion, as a form of safety, to scare away people that you're frightened of. That's who you get angry at. Anger hurts. Even when you want to understand your own anger, look for the hurt. You're angry because somebody hurt you, and it hurts because you're afraid. And you're afraid not because you're in danger, but because there's something you don't understand. And to go one step further, what you don't understand may have something to do with the world around you, but primarily what you don't understand is about yourself and your ability to cope with it and who you are, what your values are, what you care about, why you care, who you are, what you're for, those kinds of questions. So I assume because you're listening to a program like this that you are aware of your values, you know who you are, you know what you're for, you you have a sense of right and wrong, you're in touch with your conscience and your consciousness. So I would say... To answer your question, try the five magic words. Hey, dude, relax, breathe, take a breath. I understand how you feel. I get it. I don't agree with you, but I understand how you feel. All right? Especially if they're in your family and you don't want to be burning bridges because you're going to see them again. Right? And maybe could be your brother or your sister. You know, if you've got a limited number of family members, you don't want to be casting them aside if you don't have to. So I would say try that and then disengage. Change the subject. Back off. You do not have to expose yourself to abuse. You do not have to put yourself as an activist in a dangerous or abusive situation. Because, again, these people are banging on two cylinders. I mean, you've always heard it said we use 10% of our brain. When we get angry and hostile and defensive, 
we're down to one percent or less. We're barely, you know, we're as dumb as a dinosaur, banging out of that limbic reptilian brain, right? And that amygdala turned off whatever common sense and higher brain function that that person may have in calmer times. So, yeah, you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to expose yourself to that. And Cynthia, I appreciate that question. Tim and Campbell says, uh, why are the live seminars stopping? The live seminars are stopping simply because this is a very expensive way for me to speak to you and because I get minimal live feedback. Questions like this, I'm not getting a whole lot of feedback. I was hoping when we started them to get discussion. I thought people might call and we could create talk shows like we used to have, and we could get callers to speak to each other. But to get just a handful of callers, you need tens of thousands of listeners. That's why radio talk shows stopped taking phone calls 15, 20 years ago, because as they got more and more to the right, you know, counter-programming Rush Limbaugh and Michael Savage and all those hate programs, their audiences got too small to take phone calls. And there are some exceptions, but the old telephone talk shows like I used to do and ABC Radio in the 80s, those are long gone. And I was hoping we could do it here, but we can't. And I could charge, but I don't want to charge. And as long as we've got the pre-recorded podcast, people can email me or text me, and I can do the same thing as a podcast. And that's much less expense for me. I can continue, therefore, to do it for free without charge because I don't like charging for this stuff. I charge private clients, but I don't want to charge for webinars or podcasts or any of that. So, and, and the hosting services that allow me to do this are expensive. So the webinar will stop tonight, but the podcast will continue. Let's see. And then Cynthia is writing back and saying, thanks, that's real insightful. It's just so emotionally exhausting to debate with these people. It is. And that's a good indication that, if you don't mind me saying so, that we can find a more elegant way to communicate and to be more effective. I mean, if a person is not intellectually curious, I'm going back to Cynthia now. If a person is not intellectually curious, then spend your time and energy with someone who disagrees with you but is intellectually curious. Someone who is not threatened by disagreement but who embraces disagreement. We have the same thing in society. We have a line of demarcation, in a sense, two kinds of people in the world in this way. Those who see people who disagree with us, those who see people who are different from us as a resource upon which we can draw. I really don't want to live in a world where everybody agrees with me. There's a crazy idea. That'll never happen. But you know what I'm saying? 
Why would you want to live in a world where everybody thinks exactly the way you do? It's like, what if every restaurant served exactly the same kind of food? It's, no, man, tonight I want Italian. Tomorrow I want Chinese. Hey, we're going for Thai food tonight. And, you know, I, uh, I know a great Greek restaurant, Mediterranean food. Let's go down there. Get some dolma. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Diversity is fun. Different kinds of music, different kinds of art, different kinds of uh, uh, everything. The way you... Uh, uh, dress diversity is rich and wonderful but many people are threatened by it because they don't understand it and again all fear is fear of the unknown That's, fear is not about danger <laughs> and if it is it's what we don't know about the danger hang out with people who love the diversity who who seek out people who disagree and and invest your time and and your and your love, Cynthia. That's what we're talking about. We should be coming from passion, not anger. Do I love this? Is this fun? And am I a good listener? The the best thing you can do for somebody is listen to them. I've been a, a speaker all of my life. Uh, a, a teacher, a counselor, a journalist, a radio talk show host, a disc jockey, speaking, talking. I frankly love <laughs> the sound of my own voice, but I know the greater good is to be a listener. That's the greatest gift I can offer somebody, is to listen carefully and intently, to pay attention, and then to acknowledge back to them what I heard them say. But it should be a two-way street. Just, it is exhausting. And let that be a signal that we can find a, a more elegant way to uh, to communicate. I've got uh, Barnaby and his wife, Marie. Normally, they live in L.A., but they're visiting the Philippines, and they're asking about gossip. What is Gossip. This uh, is a little bit off the mark tonight, but gossip is what Fox News does. It's information that has no attribution. That's where it begins. Information that is passed along as hearsay. One of the techniques that Fox News uses is, and Trump does this a lot, some people say blah, blah, blah. That's not news. News is the mayor today said, uh, this citizen's action group today said, you have to have attribution. Otherwise, it's gossip. And I would also add, and I believe Eleanor Roosevelt gets credit for this, since I'm talking about giving attribution, that... Um, let me see if I can remember how this goes. She said there's basically uh, three kinds of people in this regard. Uh, shallow thinkers talk about other people. That would be the worst kind of gossip. Moderately mature and intellectual individuals talk about events. 
So the shallow-minded talk about other people, those who have somewhat developed their intellect and their passion and compassion, talk about events. But high-minded women and men talk about great ideas. So you may want to ask yourself, am I talking about people? Am I talking about events? Or am I talking about grand ideas? And consider that order. I mean, there's nothing wrong with talking about another person. We're talking about Donald Trump tonight. We have to, right? And events are important, too. Hey, did you hear the Oroville Dam is filling up? It might break. They had to evacuate along the Feather River. Big danger. A lot of rain. Sometimes you talk about events. But grand ideas. That's where you want to focus your time and spend most of your time. I think that's a good point. All right. And um, let's see. Janet in Pasadena, just up the street, says, What can we do to stop or make others aware of the plan for the uh, Eurasian Empire? She's referring to my talk about Dugan here tonight. So many people I know are not able to look at the uh, bigger picture. Well, find out about it as much as you can. Again, this is all new to me, so I'm no expert. I was tipped off by a former intelligence agent who appears on television from time to time and radio as a spokesperson. Malcolm Nance, I believe is his name, Malcolm Nance, and he wrote a book that came out before the Trump election about how the Russians were hacking the elections and uh, had compromised Trump and others in his administration. And he's the fellow that introduced me to Dugan, and he says that Steve Bannon is the Duganist in the Trump administration. Bannon, the neo-Nazi, the brown shirt, the alt-right uh, fellow that <laughs> Trump put on the National Security Council. <laughs> Just insanely crazy. And Bannon is a Duganist. And so I thought, Duganist? What is he talking about? Alexander Dugan. And then he started talking about this all-white Eurasian empire and this anti-American effort to destroy liberal democracy and then create this corporatocracy, this new fascist uh, approach to the world that included racial superiority, white people against people of color, white Christians against Muslims. It's an Aryan thing. And again, I don't have to introduce you to Trump's racism or the misogyny that goes along with it. Women, make no mistake, anytime you see racism, there's going to be sexism. They go hand in hand because what it's about is white superiority and patriarchy. It's white male privilege, and you can't separate those two. That's who's been running the world for 10,000 years, I'm sure you've noticed. All right, I think that's about all the time we're going to have. There are some more comments here. I will read them, and uh, 
uh, I will answer because they all include email addresses. We can have some input in exchange if you just email me. And the best address to use is my initials, MB. I'm Michael Benner, Mary Baker, just MB at theagelesswisdom.com. That's the name of this program. I call it the Fearless Activism Webinar, Fearless Activism Podcast, but it's all a service of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. And I'm going to start moving back toward expanding from political and social activism to personal growth and even esoteric philosophy, because that's what I do, that's what I love, and it all dovetails nicely. So avail yourself of the hundreds of programs that are already posted in the iTunes store as The Ageless Wisdom. That's all you have to search, The Ageless Wisdom. And again, the email address, I answer all my email, I read it all, mb at theagelesswisdom.com. All right. Our primary website, after the prefix HTTP and the W's and all of that, theagelesswisdom.com. I want to thank you very much for joining us tonight, whether live or listening to the replay here of the podcast. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Los Angeles, this is Michael Benner. So long.